and welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. Thank you as always for being here. I am really, really excited about this episode for a lot of reasons. One, because the topic is very exciting and interesting and huge, uh, and I'm excited to dive into it with my guest. And also, I'm excited because I'm using this episode as an opportunity to talk to you guys about a huge project that I'm working on um, that I just can't wait for you guys to know about. So I'll start from the top. Today, we're talking about fitness culture and how we can look at it if we think we can change it. Is it all bad? Is any of it good? How can we make it better? Uh, How can we perhaps lessen its impact and any external extrinsic uh, influence? How can we lessen that impact, that negative impact on people, on everyone, on women specifically? And I'm talking about these massive topics with Erin Power, and she is the uh, coaching and curriculum director for Primal Health Coach Institute, which is an amazing company that, that offers all kinds of health coaching um, programs and courses. I was one of the first people to actually take the Primal Blueprint coaching certification, as it was known back in the day, years ago. Um, this institution was founded by Mark Sisson. Um, And she works there and helps with the curriculum there. She's also known as a metabolism fixer. She's a coach uh, on her own who really kind of focuses on getting rid of diet dogma, getting rid of sort of the obsession with perfecting one's kind of physical self um, and focusing more on improving sort of your your relationship with food, your relationship with your body, um, prioritizing true, deep, meaningful health over let's fit into some genes. Um, and she has lots of amazing things to say on social media. I follow her on Instagram. It's eat.simple.aaron. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, but she's an incredible person. She does a lot of really, really good and in some maybe in some circles controversial work around this topic because it can be very polarizing. It can be very triggering for a lot of people to talk about these topics, which is another reason why I'm glad we're talking about it. Um, and the reason why I actually asked her to be on is because I wanted to do some research for a course that I am developing for the Primal Health Coach Institute. And um, she is going to be editing this this course. She's going to be working on this course with me. And so I wanted to kind of get her her feedback and, and have some sort of inspiration and some direction to go on a part of the course that I'm working on. So At the time of this recording, I can't really tell you specific details in terms of the name of the course, when it's going to be available, but essentially it is developed with coaches in mind, fitness, health coaches, personal trainers who are coaching women, and the focus is on strength training for women. And as we know, this is something that has been kind of not really prioritized uh, in the larger health and fitness mainstream culture. Um, There's plenty of of programs out there aiming to get women toned, lean, fit, lose weight, even get stronger. Um, But historically, there has just been a real, real lack of attention and 
scientific, methodical um, application on how women's physiology, uh, hormonal uh, complexities, and even the cultural aspect, how that impacts our strength training efforts um, so often. And I know this from personal experience going through uh, my own fitness career and um, personal uh, goals and being a bodybuilder and being into CrossFit and being into powerlifting and all of these things. I've spent so many years listening to men talk about male-based studies and male-based training programs and male-based nutrition programs. And I always was left to kind of dissect this and and hope that I can make it apply to myself. And I'm tired of it. So we decided to start creating some some programs with some actual real um, research and background and application for how this applies to women. Um, And I'm really excited about it. So as you may know already, I have a program called Muscle Science for Women with my um, good friend, Rachel Gregory. This is something different because this program that I'm developing now is for coaches, whereas Muscle Science for Women is direct to consumer. It is for the women looking to build muscle and strength. So there's going to be some different um, aspects to it, certainly, and and kind of a different approach. And because I'm working with the Primal Health Coach Institute, there is sort of this kind of primal, um, simplifying ancestral health kind of foundation to it. Um, that's about all I guess I can say right now, except that I'm I'm super excited. I truly, deeply believe that this is something that is so needed, and I think it's going to really help people. I think it's going to help coaches understand uh, women and their challenges a lot better. I think it's going to help women understand themselves a lot better. And I think that we need to start talking about these things because it's something I put in the course that I think a lot of it comes from sort of just the misogyny and the lack of attention we've given to women um, medically and and in other ways throughout history that we just kind of are like, eh, it doesn't matter. Just just talk about the dude stuff and you can apply it to women. That's one part of it. But there's also this other part that might come from a good place where we're saying, well, if we treat women differently in the gym or we coach them differently, isn't that isn't that kind of sexist? Isn't that kind of demeaning, you know, that we have to treat them differently? And really, if we can reframe that and look at it like it's only when we look at the differences between people, between genders, between any group, and we look at those differences and consider one better than the other, that's when it becomes an equality, an equity, um, uh, an issue. When we can look at the fact that we are different, but we're still equal, we're still equally deserving of respect and attention and compassion and support um, and understanding that knowing your client on a deeper level is respectful to them instead of just saying, oh, well, you know, I don't want to treat you differently. So I'm just going to not learn about your physiology and your hormones and your cycle and your, the way you are different. You know, I think that's the reframing we need to do. Different is not less than different is not inferior. Different is not bad. We just need to understand and respect those differences so that we can better help our clients and each other. So that's it. That's my uh, pedestal. I'm going to get off it now so that I can show you this amazing uh, chat that I had with Aaron Power where we dive into a lot of these deep issues and and hopefully come up with some actionable information for people to kind of take away. But at the very least, it gave me a lot of inspiration um, to keep working on this course. So 
I'm very excited to share it with you and stay tuned, you know, on my website, on the podcast, on social media, where I'll be continuing to share um, the progress of this course as we finish it up. So that's it. Without further ado, uh, here is my chat with the amazing Aaron Power. All right, Aaron, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Ashley. Good to be here. How are you doing? Uh, well, a couple things, if we're being honest about how we're doing, um, I slipped backwards down my stairs yesterday and landed rib cage first. So <laughs> I'm actually in a fair bit of pain. It's ironic that like, I didn't fall. Like I kind of just like slid, you know what I mean? Like I didn't like pitch forward down some stairs. I kind of like slid, but it's ironic how many like soft parts there are on my body that could have like cushioned my fall. And I landed on like the one part of my body that's bony and, and you know, shouldn't be uh, hit with brute force. So I'm in a fair bit of pain. I don't think that I'm like severely injured. I think it's just um, going to hurt for a while, maybe a bruised rib. Um, but that's what's going on here. And then also you're in Alberta, right? I am. Yeah. So I'm in Ottawa. Um, so that's happening. And also, um, you know, we had like a dump of snow and the day before, I don't know if you're like a big winter person. Um, yeah, no, neither am I. Of course we live in like super cold places, but when the weather starts to get warmer, I feel like this, like almost sense of spite, like the winter is like a person and I'm like finally winning. You know what I mean? Like when you can feel, see like the snow, like melting and I'm like, yeah, you take that. Go, like you're yeah. gone. Yeah. And then we got like a foot of snow yesterday and I'm just like, okay, so the winter is still <laughs> winning, but, um, so like the, it's a whole, it's a whole melange of things right now, but generally speaking, you know, I'm doing yeah, okay. I, just, I acknowledge you for not saying I'm fine. How are you? You had like things to like, how are you? Well, since you asked, you're I'm locked and loaded. <laughs> I'm locked and loaded with grievances, but also, you know, we're, we're talking, I don't know about you, but I'm like talking to less people these days, even though, um, you know, the world is starting to shift a little bit and like, we're going out more and doing more things, but still like on a daily basis, I'm like, talking to my six month old mm -hmm. and my husband and maybe nobody else. So if I get a chance to talk to somebody and I can talk about what's really going on, I'm going to do it. I know. I hear you on one hand, like zoom fatigue on the other hand, thank God for zoom. Actually yeah. I can talk to people yeah, instead of yeah, my cats and my horses. At least you have humans to talk to. I only have. Animals. Yeah. Yeah. A few. Although, um, yeah, I've been watching your stories and where you are again, not a huge fan of winter, but where you are is beautiful. And you have how many horses? four horses. Just That's gotta be like a full-time job on its own. No horses are low maintenance. As long as they're not, uh, I should knock on some wood as long as they're not getting themselves injured or sick, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're pretty low maintenance. Otherwise really peaceful energy. So I just love to like go out and be with them. Like in, in mm -hmm. amongst sort of a day of like staring at screens, it's just, it's really nice to, you know, adjust your eyes to, to a, a farther horizon and spend some time around the energy of these animals. And it's quite lovely. I have to say. And do you have horses? Have you been like, I don't know, into horses for a long time? Like, did you ride horses like growing up? Like, how did that? Cause that's a, it's a very big commitment. This isn't even like getting like a dog, which is also a big commitment, but you know, how did you get into that? Yeah. Growing up, we had them. I lived, I lived on a farm in Manitoba. So you want to talk about winter, forget it. <laughs> that's why I don't like winter. Uh, at least here in Alberta, we have mild winters, but, um, and then for 20 years, I lived in cities doing, 
you know, young adult things and climbing corporate ladders and living in loft apartments. And then I moved to this acreage nine years ago and it's like, well, let's do horses again. And it's pretty easy. It's sort of like riding a bike. I will say that riding a horse is a lot easier when you're younger because you have no fear and your bones heal easily. And so Mm -hmm. relearning that sort of that sort of confidence on the back of a 1200 pound flighty prey animal takes some, uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's a good description of that, uh, act. Yeah. Um, well, before we, you know, go too far down any particular rabbit holes, I would love for you to just tell our listeners, cause this was going to be just a conversation between the two of us. And then I thought that this could be really beneficial to my podcast listeners. So we're going to share it with them too. And, um, so I would love for you to just kind of give a bit of an introduction into who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of stuff and I don't, I'm going to keep this like incredibly brief. Um, but I, uh, I'm a health coach. I'm a health coach. So I'm in private practice and I work with clients who want to uh, work on their metabolic health. That's really my area of specialty is metabolism and metabolic flexibility. A lot of the stuff that my guru, Mark Sisson teaches, uh, should be a name that's pretty familiar to many of your listeners. Mm-hmm. I'm also on the faculty at primal health coach Institute, which is kind of how we connected over this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a health coaching school and I'm an ancestrally templated health coaching school. And, uh, I'm the coaching and curriculum director there. So I'm working on putting together the, the teaching modules for all of our courses, plus mentoring and, and training our coaches. We have thousands of graduated coaches that are in all kinds of different realms. It's pretty cool. Um, and I've been in the fitness industry for, I did the math on this cause I'm 45. I've been in the fitness industry since I was 18 years old. So that's 27 years. And, uh, I've been deeply embroiled in the fitness industry, um, in, in so many different facets and I know we'll get into it. And I'm, I just wanted, I want to tell your listeners that I'm trying, I'm going to try my best to not get too worked up when we start talking about the fitness industry. Mm, I'll try. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of the point of us having this conversation is for, I mean, both of us to get worked up. Cause I say this on my podcast all the time too. I'm like, I'll try to be calm. And that's just kind of not who I am. So I don't know. We'll, we'll yeah. see. They, they know what they're getting into when they listen to this podcast. So it's fine. If you get a little fired up, it's hard not to, with this topic, how can you, how can a woman who has been in this industry, uh, for any length of time, uh, not get fired up about it really. Um, okay. So I'm going to say again, kind of the, the purpose of why we're really having this conversation now. And if for some reason I can't publish this yet, I'll just like cut this part out. Um, but I'm working on a course, um, for your, um, for the primal like coaching, um, organization, I guess we could say. And part of that course, I can give more details as I get kind of further along in the process, but part of that course is talking about, uh, fitness culture and, and broader culture and how that relates to how women think about their bodies and think about fitness and wellness and nutrition in general. Um, and why this is important to me is because being in the industry as long as I have, which I've got to say probably now going on, I don't know, maybe let's see, 38, 25, 13 years. Um, and being a lot of the time in a very masculine part of the fitness industry, like with a bodybuilding background and like working with some like male bodybuilders and working just with sort of men a lot in general. I just, I, I always felt like we were being left out. I always felt like we weren't part of the conversation and we were just kind of expected to kind of go along and get along. Mm -hmm. And 
listen to men talking about men's stuff and hope that it applies to us and just try our best. And we all kind of were just sort of like used to it. Um, and then when I did see messaging around nutrition and fitness and strength and all of those things for women, a lot of the time it didn't resonate or it pissed me off. And I also felt like, am I weird? Am I not like looking at this, right? Like why doesn't this resonate with me if this is actually supposed to be for women? Um, and so I really have in more recent years, especially with the podcast sought to, um, just bring some more kind of female voices, female experiences, female ideas to strength and wellness and fitness and all of those things. Um, and I think that I haven't actually really had an in-depth conversation about this topic on the podcast. And I thought who better to do that with than you. And, but now that we're here, I almost like, don't know where to start. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to start. I was telling you offline that I feel like I get really like fatalistic and pessimistic and jaded about it because I keep, and I ask a lot of people this, is it possible to help people, um, not get embroiled in the like negativity and, um, like the darker side of fitness culture, or do they have to kind of go through it themselves and come out the other end, you know, because you just see so often people who are like, I can, I can hear these other voices telling me there's a different way, but I'm not quite ready to do that until I go do this other shitty way first and have those experiences. Yeah. I'm jotting notes as you're talking, cause there's so many talking points that are kind of coming up for me. So first of all, I'll say that just as an acknowledgement to you that as you're writing this course for us, which is going to be, um, a certification program specializing in women's strength, strength and fitness, mm -hmm. right? strength, uh, muscle growth, hypertrophy, mm -hmm. the whole nine. Right. And the fact that you thought to bring in the conversation of fitness culture is delightful to me because I don't think we can go another minute longer without talking about it. We, we can't really talk about how do women get strong and how do women get fit? And, and to your point, how do we disembroil? I think I just invented that word, but word. Let's go with it. Mm -hmm. disembroil them from the other, um, the shrinking and pinking <laughs> shrink it and pink it. This is a, a phrase I took from my time spent working at a sporting goods retailer where men's sporting goods equipment was made and then they shrunk it and pinked it, shrink it and pink mm -hmm. it and make it for women. So hockey sticks, bikes, whatever, snowboards. And that happens in the fitness industry, right? Interesting that you came at it from a bodybuilding perspective. I've, I've come at it from the group fitness perspective, which is cardio bunnies mm -hmm. and the cardio, but the cardio is kind of where women were put for, for a lot of the fitness industry, right? We were, we were put into the fitness studio, put onto this in the spin studio on the stair climber, in the little tiny dumbbell racks with the pink little barbell, the dumb, dumbbells. So it, it is, it's, there's a, there's a, there's a, a splitting off of understanding of fitness there. That's that goes back kind of a long way. I think it's come a long way. Cause now you're seeing women yeah, getting yeah. more into strength training, which is awesome. How can we, and then I, I just posted this on Instagram today. It's like, I'm in the same place you are. How can we help people get stronger and feel badass? And all of the benefits of fitness, all of the many amazing benefits of physical fitness without adding in the, the body image stuff, the dysmorphia mm -hmm. stuff, the dis mm -hmm. disordered relationship with body and with food. I don't know how <laughs> I'm, the, yeah. I'm with you. It's like, I don't know. I yeah. literally don't know. I was thinking about this today. Um, how, I was thinking about this today when I was writing my post on Instagram, and I know this is random to be mentioning a post on Instagram, but 
we all, there's no way to disentangle the, the fitness culture language from the belief that uh, fitness involves a look. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fitness is not a look. Phys- the components of physical fitness are things like strength, cardiorespiratory endurance, agility, balance, proprioception, what, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but looking a certain way is not a component of fitness. And then I also, my final thought on this before we go, mm-hmm. whatever path we're going is I also don't want to guilt or shame people who like the, the right. aesthetic outcomes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, so it's such a weird place to be right now. And because it's, it's really inevitable that most people are always going to have an aesthetic thread tied into fitness. I mean, it's very rare that you find someone who's like, I truly don't give a shit. What if I work out, if I pursue a goal, like it's very normal for us to also want to look attractive, whatever that means to us and be appealing and like improve our body composition, whatever that means. So how can we, it's like, it's naive to say, well, just take that part out. Let's just focus on, um, health-based goals. Let's focus on performance-based goals. And like the bonus will be, maybe you look better and get some muscles or whatever. Like we can't ignore the fact that that is always going to be a component. So how can we make it be a less influential component? How can we make it be, um, something that doesn't lead to dysfunction and stress and anxiety? Um, that's, that's kind of the tough part. It's like the balance because, one thing I've, I've found in my experience with coaching is that people do have a really hard time with balance and sustainability and moderation. People are very good at going all or nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm speaking about myself included. Um, so yeah, that's a tough thing. And like you said, you know, it's, it's cool that like more women are getting into strength. And I notice like, I'm not that old. I'm in my late thirties, but I remember when I started working out in the gym, when I was 16, it was pretty rare to see you know, a teenage girl doing bicep curls, like that wasn't really happening so much. And now you go into the gym and it's like mostly women barbell squatting, like pretty cool. But then of course you can also, one of the things I've noticed, and I don't want this to sound sort of like, I don't know, like you've always got like negative Nancy, like I've always got something negative to say, but just because the physical trends of what we say a fit woman should look like change doesn't mean that's an improvement or that it's getting better. You know, like I use the example right now of like big butts are in right. Big, big muscular glutes are in. And like, again, I don't want to sound like I'm like, sort of like the old, like I'm angry in the corner. Cause there's like a bunch of like cute girls with big butts, but I'm just like, it's once again, based on aesthetics. It's based on what you look like. It's not necessarily based in functionality because, you know, there are a lot of people who are, are only in there trying to build glutes and nothing else. Um, and we're okay with it. And this is the thing I did. I did. I'm going to talk about Instagram posts too, because I'm going to get fired up now. I did a post a while back about, I was making a parallel to women who only do glute workouts with men who only do like arms and chest. Right. And, you know, everybody loves to make fun of these dudes who go into the gyms and, you know, chicken legs and they, yeah, yeah, they only do upper body because you're like, well, what kind of man is only doing these vanity workouts that only cares about what they look like. That's so pathetic. And women who do that are applauded because of course you want to look good and be sexy and be appealing to people. And that's something that's we're told is empowering and and great, you know, instead of saying like, it's great to look good, but do you also want to be fit and functional and, and be empowered by the things you can do in the gym, mm-hmm. you know? So 
even when we're disguising it as this, like, oh, it's this new empowered thing and everyone's squatting. I don't know. I don't know if we're really, if there's really more to it. Well, they're thrusting. I don't know if they're squatting. Um, That's so interesting that you brought that forward. I was thinking about that on my walk yesterday. On my walk yesterday, I turned around because my dog is very old and slow. So I turned around to walk backwards to just like get him to catch up with me. And when you walk backwards, it's kind of like a little modified sissy squat. It's very quad dominant. And I remember thinking like, oh man, 10 years ago, eight years ago, quad dominance was a big scourge. It's like, we're just too quad dominant. Mm. I'm like, I bet you were glute dominant now (laughs) culturally, Mm -hmm. but Um, when I was coming up through the fitness industry in the late nineties, early two thousands, the aesthetic goal at that time was very lean and striated. And, and I think honestly, that was the, uh, genesis of the toned look Mm. when people say toned, it's like lean and there's muscle definition everywhere, but nothing, not one muscle is really showing up more than the other. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where I came up through the fitness industry. Now I have to do a full 180 and try to build up big ass glutes. I don't have to, but like if I were following these cultural beauty trends, I would. Um, and that's, this is a perfect example of how there's nothing really functionally great about having overdeveloped glutes and, and all the other supporting muscles in the body, not developed appropriately or pertinently. Mm-hmm. It's purely a vanity approach. And I, I, I'm not going to hesitate to use the word vanity. And I have the right to use the word vanity because I trained from the perspective of vanity for 25 years before I decided, what am I doing? Like teens, twenties, and thirties, purely training for the purpose of vanity, for for vanity purposes only. I really didn't have any fitness goals. If I really get down to it, I would say that I did. I would say I'm really into fitness. I'm a fitness junkie. The gym is my happy place. Uh, I want to be the fittest person in the room, but it really only, when I really be honest with myself, it only came down to having to look a certain way. Hmm. And so 25 years in that, that's a lot of deprogramming to do. And like, Ashley, you and I are not going to change this, but I think we're, we're conversing about it. And my only hope is to non-judgmentally open people's eyes to it. It's okay. This is our programming. It, It runs deep. It's not your fault. Yeah. But like, but take a look at it. Really ask yourself. Cause anytime I have this conversation with people, I was telling some peers of mine that I was having this conversation with you. I said, I'm going to talk to Ashley about um, fitness culture BS. <laughs> and, and what I get back from people is, yeah, but I love fitness. Yeah. But the gym is my happy place. Yeah. But I do it. Cause I want to be strong. Yeah. But yeah, but it's like, I know, <laughs> I know, mm-hmm. I know I did that too. And also there's a right. huge vanity component to it. Let's not pretend there isn't. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. All of this can exist in the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think similar to that, I think we may say a couple things in this call. They're going to be like really wildly unpopular for a lot of people, but I hope that, like you said, people can just kind of sit with it. They may have a knee jerk reaction, but maybe they can sit with it for a bit and it may end up helping them. And, you know, similar to what you're saying, where a lot of people may say one thing, but also, but maybe even subconsciously be thinking another thing. And both of those things can exist a similar vein that I see with fitness culture, especially for women. And I'm sure it exists for men too. I just think that maybe it's a little more pervasive for women is this concept of like, push through the pain, grind harder. Don't take a break. If you are getting biofeedback that things are not working. That means that you should do that thing 10 times harder instead of think about something else. 
And I think that this relates to like, again, a broader um, thing that we put on women where we have to be everything and we have to do everything all the time. And if we aren't working hard and being busy and providing something for people, we're like useless, right? So, but there is this kind of like, martyr aspect to it that people don't want to hear because we think of women who give, give, give constantly as being like, well, they're, you know, the foundation of a family and they're doing everything for everybody and they never rest. And then on top of that, they're working out and doing CrossFit workouts seven days a week. And I'm like, that's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like you, yeah, it's, it's like you're martyring yourself, even though there's a somewhere in your reptilian brain that's telling you this is not good for me, but if you stop it, who are you? What are you? Yes. You know? Um, and I find that one really, really tough to overcome in coaching practice because, um, these questions I'm asking you are all because they come to me all the time. It's women who are just like, I am working so hard and I'm not getting the results. And I'm like, that's, you literally explained why you're not getting the results, but it's so hard for people to get it. Why, why is that? Why can't we give ourselves a break and relax and rest? Well, um, because suffering is glorified. Yeah. Like David Goggins, Jocko Willink, whoa, right? Like, (sighs) honestly, um, you're the lizard brain comment is so interesting. Nobody connects with their lizard brains anymore. We are micromanaging everything. And then the martyr thing is compelling talking point as well. And as you were saying that I was thinking of all the clients I speak to, and I don't, I don't work with clients on fitness. I actually don't even talk about it. I'll, I'll talk around movement because in the metabolism space, honestly, exercise muddies the water. Like truly, if you're doing 10 spin classes a week, that's going to, it's going to really ruin what we're doing here with food. So I don't even really Mm -hmm. talk about, despite the fact that I'm a qualified fitness professional, um, but so I've had clients say, I need to do something for me. I'm going to join the boxing gym. I need to do something for me. I'm going to join the spin studio. And it's like, fair enough. And great that you're doing something for you. Cause the mom guilt is real. And the mom and the mommy martyrdom thing mm-hmm. is real. Is that really for you though? Like of all the things you could do for you is killing yourself in a workout, really what you want to do. Like if you could pick anything in the world mm. to treat yourself to, is that really for you? And I, I've been going down this line of thinking that humans are, are, are hedonistic creatures. Actually we're wired for pleasure. I don't know. That's just my, my opinion, my hunch. I don't think we're wired to actually know it. I know for a fact, we're not wired to punish ourselves physically every day Mm -hmm. from an evolutionary standpoint. That makes no sense. It makes zero sense to be tired, injured, hungry, sore all the time when you have to, you know, run away from predators or whatever that stupid caveman reference that everybody hates, but there it is. Um, yeah, it's like, we, we are fully micromanaging everything about our human existence. And it's so uncomfortable for people to relinquish control back to their lizard brain. It's just like, not, it's a Mm non-starter. Yeah. I don't have a response to that because it's just it's so it's so overwhelming. I mean, and I even have pushback. Like when you're saying this, and I know it because I say it to other people. There's even a small part of me that's still saying like, yeah, that kind of applies to other people. But I really like my boxing class. Like I really I like it. You know. So how do we again? How do we find this balance? Because, <clears throat> like you said, probably not going to change 
fitness culture. We're just going to provide another option. We're just going to provide maybe another avenue for when people get so frustrated with the other thing that they come and find us. Um, but for those of us who, myself included, who probably are always going to be doing something a little bit punishing, how do we, how do we find that balance that, that will still give us health? I have two actionable suggestions. Great. I think. This came to me. So here's my two actionable suggestions. Okay. Okay. First of all, mirrorless workouts. Mm. Imagine you go to the gym and there are no mirrors. Oh, and you can't bring your phone either to record your workout. Mm-hmm. Hear me out. I know people are like, yeah, but I need to check my form. Mm. I don't Not know. When I'm, when I'm in the squat rack, looking at myself head on, I'm not really getting a good form check. Yeah. Like I'm just looking at myself. There's a machine at, at uh, my gym. I'm sure yours probably has it too. It's, a, it's like a deadlift machine. It's not a machine, but it's like, it's, you, it's a plate loaded thing. Yeah. And it's got handles and you just do a deadlift. And I always go in it backwards and I, I turn away from the mirror and I'll pick it up facing the weight room. And somebody said to me, Hey, you're in that backwards. You know, it doesn't really matter how you pick it up. Cause it's, you know, it's picking a thing off the ground. It doesn't matter who's facing East or West. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why would I want to turn around and watch myself bend over and pick this thing up? I'm not getting any important feedback. So I know this is a weird, I, I know some people do check their form for sure. I, I get it. Like nothing wrong with checking your form. But mm-hmm. if we took the visual component away from the act of lifting weights, getting fitter, if we took the visual component away and actually just focused on the act of the movement and the benefits of it, that could be interesting. Mm-hmm. that could start to change, maybe chip away at the programming that I do this exercise and I create this, uh, aesthetic outcome, right? It's more like I do this exercise. I can feel it in the appropriate muscles. I'm, I'm aware more of my balances, my imbalances. I'm, I'm getting aware of my biomechanics. What a concept, like actually being aware of your biomechanics for a change instead of how it shows up in the mirror. I that's one of my action items. What if we just tried exercising without mirrors? What do you think about that one? I like it. I definitely like that. And I, and I'll say too, that I think, um, you know, you've, you've offered this information that you trained for vanity for a really long time and kind of in relatively recent years have decided screw it. Um, and I will say that I've had a similar, um, experience in the last couple of years, uh, where, you know, the, the pandemic and then having a kid and having a gym closed for two years and all of those things forced me to do a different kind, have a different lifestyle and realizing that I actually didn't have to work as hard as I did, um, was kind of a revelation. Um, and it, I had, it's, I struggled a little bit because I had periods where I was like, well, I guess I'm just like a lazy average, not that fit person anymore. Cause I don't work out that much and I'm not working out that hard. And I definitely crisis. lost some muscle identity crisis. Um, but then I also would flip it and be like, I have finally understood the concept of like, uh, you know, lowest, lowest effective dose or whatever it is, you know, where like, it's like, you don't have to work so hard. And I just see people work so hard. And I want to bring this back to coaching. Cause this is again, where my mind has to keep going. I think that so much of coaching is about establishing trust and like showing empathy and understanding and non-judgment and listening with your client, right? It's very, it's way less about here's the sets and reps and here's what you should eat because that information really is kind of available everywhere to a certain extent. Um, And 
what I want to explore is how to to not even necessarily establish that trust because I just said it. It's by being non-judgmental and listening, um, but how to help people find this path sooner rather than later, right? Because I've had experiences where I have these women and they they pay me to tell them or help them or advise them. And then when I do, and it's not what they want to hear, they're like, well, no, I don't, that doesn't sound right. I don't, I don't want to do that. And so it's this painstaking period where you almost have to let them do their own thing um, and then come back to you so frustrated and then be like, just trust me with this one thing. Like if you just spend a couple months working out half as much, yeah. just try it. Cause the worst thing that could happen is that your fears are realized and you go back to what you were doing. But the best thing that could happen is what happened to me when I stopped working out almost entirely. And like my fitness barely changed was I realized how much more freedom and space I have in all those things. So like any tips, any actionable tips for that? Yes, I do. Well, okay. I just, before I get in, you actually were reading my mind. Cause my second action tip is right in line with this Okay, beautiful segue, but Hey, anybody listening to this? I, I don't know who your audience is, Ashley, if they are people who are like fully into fitness culture already, or if there's newbies or whatever, but I think it's both. Yeah. As a yeah. couple of like veterans to, to training, to exercise, I had the exact same experience. I don't like working out at home. Yeah. I don't want to do it. I just won't. And I have some gear here, but not all the gear I like. So when gyms closed down, I just started walking and stretching. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'll just walk and stretch. I'll work on my back bends or something. I don't know. It's probably good to do. And, um, when the gyms opened back up, I was right back to it. Didn't lose mm -hmm. any strength. Didn't, you know, the cardiorespiratory stuff goes away a little bit, but it comes back quickly. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, that's annoying. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. pardon me. I've been just busting my ass for decades and I never had, I didn't have to this whole time. What? Yeah. Like from the perspective of actual physical fitness, it, it it's not that hair trigger. You know, it, at least I, it, it shouldn't be. And if you feel like your relationship with fitness, air quotes, slash your body composition, because that's mm -hmm. what people think about when they think about fitness. If it's that tenuous where you think if I, if I miss one workout, if I eat one slice of bread in the bread basket at the steakhouse, whatever the thing is that I'm losing my, my gains or whatever, it, that's a problem. Like yeah. that's a problem. So my second action item is right along with what you're saying. Try having more rest days than work days. Hmm. So this is a, 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 again, this is just an idea that I have this idea of, for example, I take it from the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system states, right? The two halves of the central nervous system. And one of them, we know the sympathetic is our fight or flight and then parasympathetic rest and digest. And we, I think we're generally starting to understand that there's gotta be this yin yang balance, but I'm of the opinion that we would ideally in our lizard brain state, spend more time in parasympathetic resting. And we would, we would uh, act into or feel into sympathetic states when we needed to, but the sympathetic <laughs> state is not, is not the, the baseline state. It's the one you go right. to when you need to. So I would this, apply this to exercise. What if rest was the baseline state and work was a thing you went into occasionally? Cause right now so it's the good. opposite right now. It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's like, I schedule my rest day. No, you schedule your working out days. Mm -hmm. You live your life resting, repairing, and then you go and work. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, that's a slight shift in the language. It's, it's, it's really, you know, six of one half dozen of the other, Yep. but we change the language around it. We change the intention. 
I'm, I'm a person who rests. <laughs> I prioritize rest and then I go work. Yeah. So good. I love it. I love that. And it is very simple. And it's one of those things I come, I've come across this a little bit with developing the course where I'll be writing a concept, something similar to what you just said. And I'm like, that's so common sense. Is that even worth writing? And it's like, yeah, it is because no one's doing it or thinking about it or applying it. So obviously just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy or that people are doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another concept came to my mind while you were talking that is another sort of larger pillar that I think is a issue um, with women in fitness only again, because anecdotally, I just see it coming up again and again. Um, And it's again, one that I do not see as much with men. So that's why I think it is, it it is a topic that needs to be broached and discussed um, more explicitly in women's wellness and fitness and strength is the concept of um, lack of, again, maybe self-belief or understanding of our own bodies and signals such that we feel the need to ask permission to do anything, whether it's take a break, whether it's change our diet, change the way we're working out anything. I get it so often. And, and now, now that I'm getting a little bit older and sassier, very often, I will tell these women clients, I'm like, the thing you just said to me, you get, you are, you're answering your own question by asking it of me, you know, like if they're saying like, yeah, I kind of feel like maybe it would be better if I like took a break doing this or that, like, is that okay? I'm like, the fact that you're saying this out loud means you do need to take that break. And of course you should. Um, and you don't need to ask anybody's permission, but I do think that, and it's a more insidious thing than just saying, well, it's because I paid you as a coach and I trust you. I actually think it's more that we have created this culture where women do not feel like they can trust what their own bodies are telling them. Uh And that's a huge problem. And again, I don't think that that men on as grand a scale have this issue. I don't think that it's as big of an issue interpersonally with coaches and clients where men are like, is it okay if, and do you think I could do this? And like, if I did this, would that be okay? I just don't think that that's happening as much. And I am a very strong believer in, I still coach fitness and nutrition to the extent that I do, because I think that it can be a good gateway to you know, improving people's lives in general, right? So if you can get them to feel empowered in the gym or to feel less stressed about their food, that's going to have like carry on effects in the rest of their life where they feel more empowered and confident and, you know, in control. Um, And so how can we start to switch that um, interaction where I just feel like, again, it's like they just need this permission and I don't want to give it to them. I want them to give themselves permission. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, Coaching 101, like the ultimate outcome of any coaching relationship is self-efficacy of the client, the client self-accountability, self-efficacy. I know what to do. I know how to do it. I trust that I have the skills and resources to do it. I'm good. Right. So I, and I think our role as coaches is to help our clients put in the reps as they figure that out and practice it. It it is very foreign for, for whatever reason to trust the signals of our body to your point, we've just been programmed away from, from trusting. Mm -hmm. And I'm really sensitive to that. And I'm really caring. And I have clients who say to me, man, you must get so frustrated having to have these conversations every damn day with people. It's like, I don't, I don't get frustrated because I feel it. I know what that feels like to feel like you have to ask permission for this Mm -hmm. stuff. You Mm -hmm. don't, but you don't believe that yet. And I will hold this space for you until it starts to come online. But, but those intuitive nudges, like 
I was thinking when you're talking and you have the carnivorous book behind you. Congrats, by the way, that looks Thank awesome. Thank you. Um, I'll send I'm you like, a copy. I'll send you oh, a copy. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Just, this is a, a nutrition related um, example, but it, it tracks. I had a client say to me, she was struggling with the Crohn's flare up. And she said, you know, I think it's vegetables. Like, do you think it's okay if I just don't eat vegetables for a while? I said, what do you think? Your body, your some part of your mind delivered that suggestion to you. What if you trusted that? What is the worst case scenario if you trusted that intuitive nudge? So she did a little carnivore reset, did the trick. She's got this in her toolkit now for future Crohn's flare-ups. But like, I think about it this way. Uh, this is a, so I'm drinking this glass of water, right? <laughs> Hear me out. This hydration sort of rule, like carry around this gallon jug of water and just drown yourself all day. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you're thirsty, drink. If you feel thirsty, drink. If you feel hungry, eat. If you feel tired, sleep. If you feel burnt out, stop. If you feel sore, rest. Right. Like, right. I mean, why do we have to micro again, micromanage project, manage, ask permission, seek forgiveness, all of this stuff. It's like, you don't have to like, Mm -hmm. but, but one of our jobs as coaches is to hold the space for our clients as they figure this out. And they are deprogramming according to my watch for generations of diet culture. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to come easily. And for some people, it never comes for some people. It never comes. They are so mired in this stuff. Um, but I, I feel that I feel that a lot. And the other thing about coaching that I wanted to say is that one of our other big jobs is helping our clients identify and overcome their barriers. But this, there's, there's obvious things, right? Like if the barrier is, or if the problem is, I haven't been having great protein for breakfast this week. The barrier might be because I didn't have groceries. Easy. Go shopping, buy food, have it thought in the fridge, right? Now we get into the fitness stuff. It's like, I'm not feeling good about my body. Well, the barrier might be a massive cultural programming that says you need to have huge glutes and slender arms and whatever long ass eyelashes and the whole nine yards, that's a huge barrier that, that coaches are going, like, if you, if we really do want to dismantle this, we have our work cut out for us. This is going to require so much patience. We can't tell our clients stop. Oh, stop it. You look great. Or don't worry. That's Mm -hmm. just cultural beauty programming. Don't worry. That trend will change. The glutes will go away. It'll be something else. We can't give these platitudes. Platitudes don't help anybody. Yeah. We have to, it, our job is to help our clients realize, and I don't know, I don't know how to, if I knew how to do this, I believe me, I'd be a rich woman living on a private <laughs> island somewhere, <laughs> but we have to help our clients realize that their worthiness was never tied up in how they look and neither was their fitness or their health. Um, I fight this, I, I fight this battle in air quotes with my clients every day. And mm-hmm. all I can do is just patiently hold that space. Um, yeah. And just recognize this culturing, this cultural programming is so, so, so deep. Yeah. Like even, I mean, I love that we're talking about it and I love that we're going to train coaches to have an awareness of it. Do yes, I think yes. we can solve it? I, I don't know. You know, yeah. I think about you, is your baby a, do you have a girl baby or a boy baby? Boy. boy, boy. Okay. Well, goodness. Cause I, I think about, um, I took on a client who just had a baby three months ago, a little girl. And she wanted to work with me because she said, as soon as she came home from the hospital, she brought her bundle of joy home from the hospital. She said, well, I better get back to work, getting this body back in shape. That was the first thing she thought. 
And she realized that was an unhealthy point of view. So she reached out to me immediately. She said, I know I'm really recently postpartum and that might freak you out, but I'm really worried about my relationship with my body right now. And I just need some help. It's like, holy shit. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, you're raising a daughter. She's brand new. <laughs> she just got born. Mm-hmm. What if this mom nipped this in the bud and her daughter never knew diet culture growing up, you know, Imagine. and then if all the, if all the other little girls were raised with moms who weren't dieting or weren't trying to shred themselves. And then they all went to school with each other and nobody ever talked about how cute they were. You know, imagine if like next, the next generation is the one where it stops. I don't know. That's a pipe dream, but that's where we're at. Honestly, I got, I just got chills because I I'm definitely more like emotional and fantastical about like changing the world since I was a kid. And it's funny that you mentioned it because, um, you know, we found out whether we were having a boy or a girl really early because I was worried about this term that I learned during pregnancy, which is called gender disappointment. When you wish for a babe one and you get the other and straight up, I never thought about having a kid maybe until like two years ago. But if I did, I was like, I'm going to have a girl, a cute little girl, and I'm going to teach her to be a badass and she's going to do pull-ups and it's going to be great. And so when I found out that I was having a boy, I did have a hot minute where I was like, oh shit. Okay. This is not what I was planning. Um, and then I realized I'm like, maybe, you know, cause I did always think like that. I thought what you thought, I thought I could be one of those people who raises a girl to not to just to not start with this, like, uh, base of, of lack of self-confidence, right? Like to start strong, um, and not have to, to dig themselves out of that, you know? And now I'm thinking like, I can do this. Maybe I can do this with boys too. Like Mm -hmm. this boy can see, like have a strong mother figure who isn't constantly dieting and thinking about their weight and talking about how it matters. Like when you maybe go out into the world, if you get a girlfriend one day, if you're lucky enough that like, these are the things you need to be looking out for and watching out for. So I'm trying to approach it from the other angle, but, um, anyway, if we carry this thought experiment through like, and just use our imaginations, right. Let's say the next generation of of girls grows up and they've never had it mentioned to them that they need to look a certain way or their value is is tied up in their appearance and, you know, so on and so forth. So they've they've grown up completely free of any of these ties to beauty culture. Now we're throwing diet culture, fitness culture and beauty culture under the bus. What the hell? Oh, and hustle culture as well. We're just Mm -hmm. killing it. So these little girls grow up and then maybe they want to play sports. Maybe they want to go to the gym and lift weights, but the come from is, oh, that would be kind of a cool thing to try. I wouldn't mind getting strong. Like imagine, imagine a parallel universe where there is no, no vanity and no, no worthiness tied up in, in physical containers. And we can go do whatever we want. We can move our bodies or not move them and, and whatever feels good. We can, we can take up hobbies that involve moving, or we can take up hobbies that involve not moving. And, you know, there's no virtuosity attached to how active you know, how active we are. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's hard. It's actually hard to even have the thought experiment. Like what would that be like? Yeah. If we raise a generation of people, you know, because that's what we're we're trying to talk about here is how, you know, if we could solve the problems with fitness culture, how would we do that? And what would that be like? Yeah. And I think these little thought experiments are kind of fun. I've always thought about this experiment. I read a book when I was like young, I think the book was called I am David. It was one of those books you had to read in school. And it's a terrible book about a kid that escapes a concentration camp. So really dark, but the kid was born in the concentration camp. And when he, he, he escapes and he sees his reflection for the first time, when he's like 10, he'd never seen what he looked like before. And 
for whatever reason, I remember reading this book as a kid, as like an 11 or 12 year old kid and thinking, wow, could you imagine not knowing what you look like? Freedom, and I just thought the freedom of it, maybe. Yeah. I just yeah. thought I, and that, that thought stayed with me my whole life. Like, imagine if we never knew, right? Wow. Anyway. Well, okay. So this is leading me into, cause you used a word that I, I haven't actually been like using in my mind as I'm writing this course. Can you hear me by the way? I'm leaning back. Cause if I come forward, I'm in the sunshine, um, this deprogramming, mm-hmm. right. Um, and how long that could take if it ever happens. Um, and the concept of sort of just having, again, holding space, having empathy, having patience and, and being a, a, a resource and a open mind and an ear for people who are trying to go through this very um, difficult process. And one, another thing that I kind of keep coming up against is that one of the ways in which we, in an increasingly online world, try to learn and connect and feel good are the very channels that are also programming us in this, in this awful way. Right. So social media, again, it's such a good, um, it's such a good thing to like shit all over because it, it it does cause a lot of issues. Right. Um, but people go to social media to find inspiration, to find resources, to find comfort in some ways to, to numb themselves, all kinds of different things on social media. Right. And you absolutely can find, good resources there. And you can also find terrible ones. Um, and it's not realistic to tell people just don't follow people who suck or make you feel bad. I mean, I actually have gone through this process and it is great. It is amazing. It's great. Like I remember, and you know, this is a whole other topic we probably don't have time for, but like when I was competitive bodybuilding, I didn't follow any bodybuilders because I didn't want to I didn't want to look at people who were, I thought were better and buffer and leaner and more successful and all these things. I didn't want to do it. And it really, I think actually helped me a lot in the sport at the time. Um, and I still do it to this day when I find if I'm following people that are just, they're just giving me these little kind of like pokes of, of unhappiness. Um, I, I don't have to follow them. I don't have to see their stuff, but that's easier said than done. And a lot of people maybe for whatever reason, don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, so how do we again, navigate a world where folks are seeing really, really unrealistic and then oftentimes, um, flagrantly, um, like people who are purposely misleading people about Mm -hmm. how they look the way they do or how they're, how they're as fit as they are. Um, you know, in a world that is so full of, of falsehoods, how do we, um, how do we combat that in real life when we're working with them as coaches? Well, I mean, if everybody could just stop doing that, that'd be great. If you could just quit flaunting your face. It makes money. It makes money and it makes those people feel good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I always wonder who actually gets inspired by that. Like who, like, I don't know. I, I struggle with that. Like I I don't think, I don't think fitspiration ever inspired me. It just, it just made me feel. um... But that's the thing. I think that's a uniquely, again, a a feminine thing that like someone making them feel bad, guilty about themselves. They see that as inspiring. 
Right. Right. Like inspiring is something that it's supposed to be. I follow this person and she makes me feel energized and she makes me feel like I can do things and she gives me information and hope and positivity. But instead we follow people who make us feel fat or shitty or lazy or dumb because we're like, well, let's be more like that person, you know? And I think people mistake that for inspiration. You're dead. I don't think we're mistaking it. I think we have culturally conflated yeah a feeling of guilt and not enoughness into inspiration like yeah I'm gonna go chase that like uh <sighs> me I'm chasing that it's not that's not that's not inspiration that is guilt and shame that yeah. we're somehow perceive pretending to perceive in, as inspiration yeah. and like I mean you talked about it already that clearing out your feed of the people who make you feel a kind of way a certain kind of way I guess as coaches, I mean, that's the, that's the easiest way. And I do it all the time. So when I go to my explore page, you know, that explore page where you click mm-hmm. the little magnifying glass. And if there's any abs or like glutes showing up Butts. there, I, I <laughs> intentionally like there's a button you can press. that says, don't show me this shit. So my mind ends up being like puppies and horses and hairstyles. And I'm, I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for what we can do as coaches is connect our clients to their feelings, which I know sounds a corny and B hard and C vague, <laughs> but what we just uncovered, I think is really interesting. This, this is a real interesting garden path for you to go down as you continue writing this course. Are we feeling inspired or are we feeling shamed? Like, mm-hmm. so we can, we can, we can speak that with our clients. What does inspiration feel to you? Talk about a time when you were inspired. What did that really feel like? Right. Think of a time you took up a hobby because somebody ins- uh, a hobby or an activity because somebody literally inspired you to do it. Mm-hmm. What did that feel like? Mm-hmm. Remember how that felt like, like you know, rem- like fully remember, go back in time to that moment. What did that feel like in your body? What did that feel like in your in your face, your your yeah. feelings, your expression? And now compare that to when you look at some chiseled babe on Instagram. Does that feel the same? Do you think it's the same feeling? And they might say maybe not. We're, that's where we start. We start just kind of teasing these things apart mm-hmm. and we can say, okay, now, so what we've established over time is that this feeling that you're feeling is actually not inspiration. It's probably somewhere on the spectrum of shame or fear. Fear is a big thing. I'm afraid I'm not going to be loved if I don't look like that. Um, the next time you feel this, take close notes as to what made you feel that way. This is collecting data. I always get my clients to collect data mm-hmm. and like leave no stone unturned. What were you doing? Where were you? Why were you scrolling your social feed? What were you, what was happening? What else was happening that day? Maybe you came into Instagram feeling kind of shitty about yourself already. And that just made it worse. Like, I just think we have to bring our, our clients um, into awareness, into presence of what they're feeling. And if we can do something to, to tease apart the shame from the fake, fake inspiration that we're feeling, mm-hmm. that would be interesting. I like it. Do you have any actionable items? Because I'm running with that now, because you gave me some already for coaches to help their clients. I'm going to use the, your word to tease apart um, the reasons for their goals. And so like the Socratic method, I believe it comes to mind. Is that where you're like asking people like why a bunch of times, and you just keep asking them, keep asking them, they eventually kind of tell you the truth. Um, and the reason I ask that is because 
at the beginning of this chat, we were talking about how it's really hard to kind of separate aesthetic goals from like more performance or, or life enhancement based goals, right? Because most people always kind of have both or one is masquerading as the other. Um, but very often I encounter uh, clients who will have these um, often competing goals, right? So they'll say, I want to build muscle, but I also need to lose fat and I need to be in this caloric deficit. I'm very used to like super strict keto and eating 1300 calories a day or whatever, because that's what feels comfortable. And I'm really worried about gaining weight when I gain muscle and things like that. Um, or I'll have a client who is like, well, I've done X, Y, Z, it changed my lifestyle and my digestion is better and I'm eating food and not being obsessed about it. But I weigh 138 pounds now instead of 125. And like, I'm not, I'm not feeling that. And so I want to think about like, okay, why does that number on the scale that no one knows, but you, and no one would notice the difference and no one cares. And it means nothing. why and it means nothing. Why is that so important? And why is it so important that you have to be trying to lose weight at the same time that you are trying to build tissue, new muscle tissue on your body? Um, and so, yeah, like, but getting to that without, because again, I have a tendency and I think I do a pretty good job now that I'm like getting older and wiser and I'm a coach and I, I feel like I have, I have empathy for people, but I do tend to be a little direct and a little like blunt. And I want to say like, why does that matter? Why does that wait? Why does that number matter? No one gives a shit. No one cares and no one knows. Why does it matter? Yeah. But that's not the best way to approach somebody who may have some very deep, deep rooted feelings about what the scale says, right? So do you have any, any ideas for how to really get to the bottom of it? Like really find out what the reasons are for their goals. And maybe if we can find some more intrinsic, um, like really, again, not sort of um, superficial Mm -hmm. uh, ways to get to goals that are going to actually make them feel better and improve their life. Yes. Well, the word intrinsic is the key here. Yeah. The intrinsic motivator behind the goal. That's the exercise that we theoretically, um, that's where we theoretically use this five whys exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, and it doesn't work every time to be honest. I'm just going to put this down. Cause like I'm, I'm literally in the sun. So hold on one second. Okay. Okay. So distracting. Okay. Much better. Okay. Intrinsic motivators are what we need to uncover. And it's, it's harder sometimes than it sounds. And the five wise exercises really what does this. So, you know, the, the simple example is I need to be 125 pounds instead of 138. Yeah. Why? because I was most confident at that weight. Oh, why were you most confident at that weight? I don't know. Cause I was, I could fit into cuter clothes. And why is that important to you? Cause when I, when I wear my cute clothes, I feel a uh, fashion is just important to me, whatever we get to the, the root of it. Right. But when we get into fitness culture, here's, and this is the spirit behind kind of my Instagram post today. So I am going to pull it up just so I can quote myself mm -hmm. like a narcissist, Love it. Um, <laughs> but I've heard. Okay. So if somebody says, I need to crush myself and punish myself in the gym every day or some version of that, which I've extrapolated. Mm -hmm. If we say, why is that important to you? They might say something that sounds intrinsically motivating. Like I want to be the fittest 55 year old woman in the room. Right. So on balance, that sounds very, you know, motivating. It sounds like a, a really interesting, but why do you want to be the fittest 55 year old in the room? Uh, like, why is that important to you? Is it because we're comparing ourselves to other 55 year olds? Cause that's extrinsic. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not a rich reason for a goal. 
-hmm. what is important? Is it, is it, is there a sense of, again, we could, we, maybe we get to sense of like unworthiness. I'm more loved. I feel like I get more love when I'm in a smaller body or something. And then it's, then you're into the weeds of, of a lot of diet brain stuff. Like, is that really true? What if that wasn't true? Um, all of this kind of thing, but we have to get to the heart of intrinsic motivators. And the thing is why this is hard in fitness culture is that our clients can outsmart us. Mm. They can say, cause I feel better about myself when I'm strong. I feel better about myself when I'm lean. And that sounds like an intrinsic motivator, but it's been influenced by, um, thin obsessed body obsessed culture that says thinner and smaller and tighter and leaner is better. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's hard. I guess what I'm getting at is it's hard. Yeah. It, it takes masterful question asking active listening skills to decouple intrinsic motivators from the extrinsic factors that have, have brainwashed us for, for, for four generations. And mm-hmm. I, I think actually we didn't solve it today, but we've talked about a lot of, I, at least I think, you know what I think when you said, I just want to tell people it doesn't matter. God, like what, why do you care? That's where like, you know, your TikTok comes, man, you rant it out mm-hmm. on your Instagram stories. Mm-hmm. And I think if we keep speaking it yeah, at some point, I don't know, maybe that's wishful thinking, but at some point, if we keep speaking it and just giving voice to it, our clients will pick up on it and say, actually, yeah, now that you mention it, like who gives a damn what that number is? I'm the only one that mm-hmm. knows it. Mm-hmm. By the way, if I'm trying to be a badass, I'm going to be heavy. Like ha- badasses are heavy. The strong animals survive. I was just told one of my clients this today. He's lost. He's a British guy. He's lost almost a whole stone, mm-hmm. which is 14 pounds. I had to Google it. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, it looks like I've lost a lot though. I said, great. Cool. I mean, that's probably better for you. If you had an interest in looking a different way, I said, you know, what we're doing here is we're trying to spare your muscle and spare your bone tissue. That's crucial body tissue. I want you to be heavy. In fact, if the scale never budged, I'd be real happy because I, I want you to be the strong, badass human being and strong badasses are heavy mm-hmm. anyway. So like, that's the kind of stuff that I'll rant about to my, yeah. I'll shout it into the void and hope that yeah. it starts to perk up people's ears that's not super actionable for coaches. And so I think coaches, um, it just comes back to, to getting into intrinsic motivators. I don't want to make that sound easy. Cause it's not, no, it's not. Um, but that's what we need to practice on. And I will say, you know, I said at the beginning, like I'm super jaded and I tend to go negative on these things, but I'm coming around now to some positivity, um, because there are examples all day, every day of people who are digging themselves out and people who are making changes. It doesn't mean that you're going from completely one side to completely perfect. I'm fixed. I never have any issues or self-confidence or whatever. It's I'm good now, but there are people moving along this spectrum all the time. And like, you're an example of that. You just told me I'm an example of it. I just told you quite, you know, relatively recently with the changes that have happened in my life, I've had some really, um, pretty significant breakthroughs in terms of how I feel I need to be in this industry and, and look and appear and communicate. Um, and I'll say like using the carnivorous thing or, and, you know, even just sort of like the meat eating organ meat thing, um, journey that I've taken the last few years, as an example, I have encountered many people who, um, and this is a whole other topic, but people who, um, you know, and I, 
I don't make it a point to try to trash anybody who's plant-based because that's just not, I'm not interested in fighting over what's right or wrong nutritionally. However, I have had a lot of people come and tell me that they, again, were maybe programmed to believe that they had to eat light and they had to eat low protein and they had to avoid animal protein. They had to do all these things because that was healthy and good and moral and appropriate. Mm -hmm. And they have since come around to maybe a more omnivorous or at least individual approach to eating and it makes them feel good and they feel healthy and they feel better and their mood has improved. So these are other examples of like, maybe the the whole problem isn't fixed, but little problems here and there are going away or getting better or changing. So, yeah, I mean, I think what we're doing, we are finding some, some solutions and at least some options and ways for people to look at the world differently. Yeah. I think it's, it's slowly unraveling as evidenced by the whole anti-diet movement, mm-hmm. um, fat acceptance movement, right? Whatever we think about those things, we're not here to t- talk about that, but these movements are gaining steam. Anybody who comes to work with me is a, trying to achieve an effortless relationship with food. Cause I don't sell weight loss. I don't sell fat loss. I don't sell hot bodies. I'm not, I don't give a damn about what size jeans you wear. If you're coming to work with me, it's because you want to have an effortless relationship with food. And I have an abundance of clients who think that sounds pretty cool. Like, oh, that's an interesting way of approaching it. Now, these people backslide often back into diet culture, back into fitness culture, and I'm there to catch them when they fall. And again, we're practicing, we're putting in the reps, we're deprogramming four generations. And I'm very patient about that. But the fact that I even have a clientele tells me something. Yeah. Right. The fact that any of this stuff exists and is getting, gaining momentum and gaining voice is exciting. So Mm -hmm. maybe the next generation of little girls won't be the one, but maybe the, maybe the subsequent one will be like, I think Mm -hmm. we're, we're moving in that direction at least. So there is, there is some optimism to be had here. Yep. I agree. And I hope so. Otherwise, what the hell are we doing here? So I hope that, you know, I mean, that this is our job. Um, that would be a really great place to end, but I do have one more question that I want to, I want to get out and I'm sure I will continue to, um, reach out and bother you through the process of this course. And I'm very, I'm really, really excited about and having a lot of fun doing. It's amazing. Um, You're doing an amazing job. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you, so you talked a little bit about the, like, you know, the 55 year old who maybe is like not even thinking about it, but like comparing themselves to other 55 year olds. And that's where they, they, they draw some of their self-worth. Do you think again, in this very visual digital black and white, and dare I say words like CrossFit, um, world in fitness, do you think competition is just inherently a bad idea? In fit, like, do you think it's just a bad idea across the board to be competitive? And I'm not talking about like professional athletes. I'm talking about the rest of us mm-hmm. to be competitive, to compare, to use competition, to inspire you to work harder, um, to try and kind of hold yourself to a standard that other people like, do you think that's just inherently a bad idea or can it be used in a, in a good way? Hmm. So, okay. Like there's so many ways to go with this. So first of all, from, from a purely visual perspective, um, probably there's some evolutionary truth to the fact that the, you know, the beautiful animals or whatever, the mating dances and what have you. Okay. There's that, um, from the perspective of like performance and being the best you can be, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I'm fatigued out of just discipline. Like, I don't see the point, like to Mm -hmm. what end, (laughs) like, okay. Mm -hmm. So you're the baddest ass 55 year old. And then what, 
Yeah. Like to what end? Like, and that goes back to intrinsic motivators, I guess. Um, I, I would struggle again. I would struggle to, I would struggle to decouple that goal from, um, uh, the pressures, the societal pressures I, to look and achieve and be, and you know, whatever. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I just, for me, it's like, what's the point? Yeah. I don't know. That's my, yeah. that's yeah. my gut reaction. I don't know if I'm the right person to ask. Cause I'm, I'm pretty jaded about like some of these, I don't have any goals. Like for example, I don't have any goals <laughs> for my body. It's like, I know people who We'll go to the, I go to the gym all the time. Like I love training. I think I love, I think I love training. This is the work I'm doing on myself. I think I love it. I don't know. I was addicted to it for a long time. So uh, probably like any addict, I probably convinced myself, oh, I don't need it. I just like it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. but I've got people who say, I always like to train for something. I'm training for a Spartan race or I'm training for a photo shoot or something. I don't know. And it's like, man, I don't have anything like that. I'm literally just trying to keep my, I'm trying, I'm walking up the down escalator of aging. <laughs> like it's going down. I'm just staying in the same spot. I'm cool with that. Like, I'm cool. If I just Good. keep this going yeah. until I die, that'd be great. That's, that's it. I'm just trying to die <laughs> I guess, later in life. I don't know, but I don't have any goals and I'm not driven to anything. And yeah. maybe that sounds absolutely crazy, but what's the point? I, I don't know. And if that gives you peace, right? Because I think one of the things like that, you you know, as you're saying this, I'm writing down notes about like prompts as coaches. And one of these things is, you know, helping people understand even the difference. Because again, a lot of this coaching thing is bringing awareness. It's not giving answers, right? right? So even bringing awareness to the differences between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and goals, just so that they can be thinking about it, right? Um, But also asking questions like, Cause you're saying to what end for what, you know, what would it feel like or what happens next or what does achieving that extrinsic goal give you? Cause right. if maybe a lot of people, I feel like don't have answers. And I feel, felt like this for a long time, you know, where it's, if it's aesthetic goals, it's like, okay. And I, and I experienced this, like I wrote a lot about the bodybuilding journey because I wanted to be honest about it. And there were so many people not being honest about it. And I, I learned and I had to get the six pack to learn just how much it doesn't fucking matter. You get a six pack, you take a picture of it, you look at it in the mirror, you're like, check me out, look at my hot, uh, look at my hotness. And then you post a picture on social media and everybody likes it. And then you are still you with your life and no one cares. Nobody cares. So, but I, I had to do it before I knew it, before I knew that. And so now when I ask myself these questions, I, I know the answers, but I think a lot of people, maybe if I, if somebody had asked me those questions before, maybe things would be different. I don't know. Yeah. It's the whole, and then what? Yeah. Which, which is not a great coaching question. I would not, I would not encourage a coach to say, oh yeah. And then what? Like that's yeah. just, but the spirit behind that question. Yeah. If you get your, if you get a client in your care who is staunchly <laughs> not letting you really tap into an intrinsic motivator. Cause it can be hard. I said, when you go through this five wise exercise in a perfect scenario, you know, you're delivered to this beautiful intrinsic motivator, but sometimes your clients can outsmart you. And they might say, if I am the baddest ass 55 year old in the, in the room, I'll feel proud of myself for having whatever beat the, that hard, whatever. Yeah. Great. And then what, mm-hmm. <laughs> like what's, yeah. How does your life unfold from that point on with this badass 55 year old thing? Like, what about, you know, I don't know. Like it, it's, 
I don't know. Like I just struggle with understanding what, with the endpoint. you know, there's a visioning exercise that coaches will do a lot. Like, what does your life look like? Tell me a story about a day in the future when you have achieved all of your hopes and dreams, you wake up and this happens and you do this and that your life you're doing like your perfect day. Once all your health and happiness, hopes and dreams have been achieved. Um, if it is any part of that day, like I wake up to the to songbirds and I'm, I'm over my, my beautiful house overlooking the beach and I walk past a mirror and I have a beautiful six pack. Like, really? Like, is yeah. that really on there? Yeah. I doubt yeah. it. Like I doubt it. And I mean, ha- having had six packs, like we've had them, um, uh, I got, I, nothing in my life changed. Yeah. <laughs> six pack. No. Um, it, it's so foolish, but I don't want to make light of it. And I don't want this to sound like we're shaming or guilting or, or anything. No. We're seeking to understand, seeking to see if we can turn the tides and it's just conversations like this and being really real about it, about how hard it is. And we don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. And in the perspective, perspective of training coaches, um, coaches have to be non-judgmental listeners. Mm-hmm. That's a skill to master. And because somewhere in our clients, lizard brains, somewhere in there, in the very, very ancestral parts of our brains, we know this is bullshit. They know mm-hmm. it's bullshit. They just Mm -hmm. have been programmed otherwise. And maybe if we just hold enough space and ask the right questions and get them thinking and feeling again, I have this optimism that we can change this at some point. Me too. I'm going to end it there because I'm feeling more optimistic about it than I usually am. And that's, that's the headspace I want to be in as I write this chapter. So thank you. I really, really appreciate your time. I I'm such a huge fan truly of what you do. And, you know, I've been, I was like an OG follower of uncle Mark. And so then of you, because you've been around doing this good work for a really long time. And I'm just, I'm, I'm really am like honored and sometimes like flabbergasted that I'm now getting to be like a part of this. Um, so I just appreciate you kind of letting me, letting me come along for the ride and do my best. Well, I'm honored. You're doing amazing work check this course out. I'm just loving reading it from the first moment I started reading what you've been writing. It's like, Oh, this is different. Okay. Buckle up fitness industry. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. All right, Aaron. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day with your horses and we'll be in touch. All right. Good job, Ashley. Good to see you. All right, that's it today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it all the way to the end, we covered a lot of ground. Some of it was kind of deep. Some of it was pretty intense. Maybe we didn't really answer all the questions, but it definitely gave me a lot to think about and be inspired by as I continue to work on this course. And I'm super, super excited about it. I really hope that you guys are too. If you are interested in the course, because this is still early and I, I haven't put out any kind of official information about it yet in terms of launch date and stuff like that. If you're interested, if you think it's something you want to know more about, maybe you want to take it, maybe you want to recommend it to some coaches at your local gym or in your community, um, I encourage you to reach out to me. You can send me an email through my website. You can reach out to me on Instagram at The Muscle Maven, and I will make sure that you are one of the first people to know about it when it comes out um, because ultimately at the end of the day, I think this is how we make changes. Just little bit at a time, grassroots, on an individual level, trying to put out better options, better resources, 
sharing value with people in our communities that are close to us. And I think we can make a difference that way. It doesn't change everything overnight, but nothing good ever changes overnight. So um, with that, I'll leave you. I appreciate your support as always. And um, I'll see you here again soon. Take care. Thank you.